We both found out yesterday we're old. Oh, don't get me started on that. I want to talk about that. This fuck you, Steve, and asking how old I am. I've been trying to forget that for 10 years. Yeah. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter. My name is... Rob Minot. Not Rob Inno. Well, <laughs> Robin O. Listen, uh, I'll explain after I introduce you, so just shut up over there. Uh, I am joined, as you can hear, by Mr. Ryan Flurry. Good morning. Uh, no Steve Barkley today. He's out, so it's just us. And uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I say my name like that because we, we're looking into some transcription solutions for <laughs> ourselves it's not going very well because we want it we really want it we really want it we we understand that we need to we need the show transcribed and we have no budget on the show so we we can't really pay somebody to transcribe us and we don't have the time to do it ourselves so we're looking at we're trying to find some software or something that could maybe help us along help us along and i was reading the transcript <laughs> of the show that we plugged into this to this software and it was terrible and i just i'm just like and one of the things that it never got my name right ever like every time it was just like i'm robin oh <laughs> and i was just like do is it that bad do i say it? no do, am, I, am i that much of a mushmouth that i can't even it can't even transcribe my name properly so uh from here on going here on he's jack <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna articulate my name much better so so what's your name? Rob Minot. All right. Catch the M on Minot. That's Transcription right. software. It's like the fish. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Did you, have a good, and... did you have a good vacation last week? Vacation was nice. We were out in the Kootenays camping with my family and just had some R&R time. The only downside to being out camping is for some unknown reason, when you get back, you need a couple days to recover, and I'm not sure why that is, but we had a good time. Excellent. I am glad to hear that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, that's mm-hmm. why we didn't have a show last week, if anybody was wondering. Uh, but uh, speaking of which, uh, what, are we, what are we up to this week, sir? Well, this week, before we even introduce our guest, we have a podcast treat again. Bum-ba-da-bum. Oh, really? This week's podcast treat is... Hang on a second here. Oh, yeah, I forgot we were doing this. Whoa. Oops, did I miss you? <laughs> oh, look at that. Today's podcast treat is the O'Henry Chocolate Bar. I, maybe we should be reaching out to these places... <laughs> for sponsorship. For sponsorship. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, it's, this this week's podcast brought to you by O'Henry. <laughs> And now we will spend five minutes listening Talk. to Rob eat it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is it, where did, how did this become a bit? I don't uh, but, know. Okay, but I'm not complaining. Listen, uh, thank you for the O'Henry. This is lovely. Well, it's just it's, one of those uh, things, you know. I, for anybody who's wondering, there's crunchy peanuts, there's chewy fudge, there's creamy caramel, and all covered in a delicious chocolate coating. 
Now, it's in, it's interesting that, well, it's I guess it's not interesting, but after I got the O. Henry's, I, I threw up Wikipedia yesterday to yeah. look up the o, the history on O. Henry, and in Canada, O. Henry cannot be cannot be called a chocolate bar. It's what? actually considered a candy bar, and oh. it's because of the the chocolate standards in Canada are different than the chocolate standards in the U.S. The U.S. O. Henry actually has milk chocolate. Whereas in Canada, there is no milk chocolate in the O'Henry chocolate bar. Really? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So w- go to Wikipedia. It's been around since, I think, 1920, the O'Henry chocolate bar. And <laughs> it was just quite interesting. So we might actually do a history segment on each of our new podcast treats, too. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to you need to read the nutritional information? <laughs> <laughs> it's making up for the soup you're going to eat for lunch. <laughs> you need your calories. <laughs> wow, there's zero cholesterol. That's so oh, excellent. Oh, it's yeah. healthy. Yeah, but it does contain 25% of your daily fat intake, so... Uh, you're still safe. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure I... I'm pretty sure I go over my recommended daily fat intake every day anyways. Uh, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, okay, well, um, what else are we doing today? Today we are talking with Gesture who is an associate professor of textile engineering, chemistry, and science at the North Carolina State University College of Textiles. This is exciting. Um, Smart clothing is something that I hadn't really, has not been on my radar. Uh, But when you suggested him for the show, um, my mind started just spinning in thinking about all the different AT applications that smart clothing could have. So, and I didn't even really think I didn't know. I didn't know people were working on this, but uh, apparently they are. So I'm excited to talk to to Jess and and see what what the deal with smart textiles is. Yeah, and this is just you know one university. You know, if we if we dig a little bit deeper into this whole textile engineering topic, I'm sure we would uncover a whole lot of gems. So you know, we may have other guests on later on talking more more in depth about this. Uh, Hey, but before we do that, uh, let's talk a few news items, shall we? Let's do it. It's an article from CBS News. Bad Braille plagues buildings across U.S. CBS News radio investigation finds. This is crazy to me. Well, it it is if you're new to this kind of story. But if you're a follower of our podcast... You've heard us talk in the past about the ADA and which is the Americans with Disabilities Act in the United States and how it has really, it seems to have fallen down in a lot of areas. And this should come as no surprise, this story. (laughs) CBS News has uncovered complaints to the Justice Department's Disability Rights Section about missing or incorrect Braille at a number of public facilities, including Albuquerque's bus system, restaurants in Kansas and Pennsylvania, and hospital and medical buildings in Chicago, among other locations. The records, spanning two years, were obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request. The article goes on to say they found incorrect and missing Braille at a branch of the D.C. Public Library, which had a notable lack of Braille signage and no labeling of audiobooks, which are a common way of reading for the blind. At the Franklin Delano Roosevelt Memorial, the Braille was too oversized to read for the blind. When asked about this, this kills me, when asked about this, the National Park Service told CBS News 
that the braille on the memorial was, quote, part of the artist's design of the memorial and was not necessarily intended as an accessibility element for the blind. Right. Wow. Just wow. Uh, City Hall at the Wilson Building in the District of Columbia featured labels that were overly generic. For instance, labeling a set of stairs as stairs (laughs) rather than identifying the location of the building like Northwest Stairs or Stairwell One. Uh, a A bathroom sign for the men's restroom was also just labeled bathroom. Yeah, crazy. But this is in a country where it's been 30 years since the Americans with Disabilities Act has been in place. 30 years, and they still aren't taking Braille seriously. And the reason why I, I, I really locked onto this um, story is because I, I really feel like both in the U.S. and Canada, Braille signage is not taken seriously. No, and I'd be willing to it's bet just not. if there was a study done here in Canada of our you know federal, provincial buildings and so on, you know, our, our Braille signage is definitely lacking and it's probably not being maintained either. It's, it's lacking where it's even there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't feel like it is taken as seriously as something like, say, um, you know, wheelchair ramps. Yeah. Um, you know, wheelchair ramps got to the point, wheelchair, you know, handicap parking, wheelchair ramps. There's all these, you know, curb cuts. These are things that, that, got implemented much better than something like braille signage. And, you know, now we have no excuse. We are now a Canada that has a national accessibility act. And still I go to new, new spaces that have just been built. There's a mall down the street from me that is, was just completely gutted and completely renovated. Everything's new. And you walk into their bathrooms, there's no, there's no Braille signage anywhere. There's nothing. No consultation on accessibility nope. design at all. Nothing. Yeah. And that's why I think unless it becomes part of the building code, you know, any accessibility becomes part of the building code, it's not going to happen. It's going to be an afterthought, a bolt-on thought. And that has to change. That has to change for everybody. Libraries, federal buildings, provincial buildings, schools. Because there's no incentive to do it, you know. And maybe the act will change that, but I doubt it. It's, I think it's just, it's something that people need to take seriously. Um, even the, the, you know, the placement of, of Braille signage needs to be a standard. It needs to be in the same place all the time. And it needs to, to reflect the, the right information. There's a lot to be considered when it comes to things like Braille signage. And it should be everywhere, especially in things like federal buildings, schools, Libraries. Um, libraries. Yeah, hospitals. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure that, that you know, there some are better than others in terms of, of different facilities, but it, there needs to be standards. Mm-hmm. And, and stuff like this drives me crazy because I, it, this obviously shows that it's just not something that's taken seriously. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's end, let's end the news segment on a, on a positive note. All right. Uh, let's talk about Comcast. Comcast, what are they up to? Uh, well, Comcast's latest accessibility feature lets customers change TV channels with their eyes. Comcast is introducing eye control to its X1 cable platform, which is a new effort from the company that will improve the experience of watching TV for millions of people with physical disabilities. Eye control lets 
customers change channels, pull up the X1 programming guide, set DVR recordings, and navigate through other menus of the cable box using only their eyes. That's amazing. Well, it's you know it's basically supporting all the all the popular eye gaze yep. uh, hardware and software that's on the market, uh, but it even supports puff switches. Yeah, cool. So you know, great. You know, building building accessibility, you know, into mainstream software and hardware. Always love to hear that. Well, allowing people to regain some some independence is, is always beneficial. Sure. Now so. they just need to, to make these cable boxes that are accessible for, for the visually impaired. So they need to be up to all the menus. Everything should talk. Well, supposedly Shaw's Blue Sky Box does 85% of that. Um, I don't have Blue Sky here, but uh, one of our friends of the, well, I don't know if he's a friend of the show, but one of our old-time past company clients um, actually did a review of the Shaw Blue Sky TV, and I can send you the recording. It's pretty pretty well done for somebody who's blind or visually impaired. Yeah. But, alas, I don't have it. The reason why is because Shaw, with their current gateway systems, will not allow you to back up your recordings from your PVR. So, my wife, who likes her reality TV, cannot get her programs off there. And she doesn't want to lose her programs because she's got some movies on there that she doesn't want to lose. So until they come up with a way to back those up and put them on the new box, we are stuck with the gateway. <laughs> that or I just got to put my foot down and say, I'm man, you woman, you listen. I'm sure that'll go over I'll real see, well. I'll see how that goes. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you, buddy. Uh, yeah, but no, this is, this is great news. Mm -hmm. uh, kudos to Comcast. Of course, we don't have Comcast up here in Canada, but... Uh, you know, I'm sure that Canadian versions of Comcast will take note and hopefully bring something like that to Canada. But, you know, the more and more that w that when assistive technology is recognized as a need and is pushed out to a customer base, it's, it's good news for AT all across the board. So I think the, the attitude is changing in, in the public. You know, the, people are starting to see People with disabilities are consumers as well, have money to spend, and you know these companies have been missing the boat for so many years. So yeah, they're, they're they're taking notice, and you know, good on them. And listen, this is mainstream applications Absolutely. too. Look, yep. if I can change the channel by just moving my eyes, <laughs> and I don't have to bend over <laughs> and grab the remote and do it, well, hell. Yeah. Sign me up. I can just keep stuffing my face with my O. Henry and <laughs> and never actually even move off the couch, like literally not move. My remote's dead and I don't have batteries. How can you use my eyes? Never That's mind right. the remote. Oh <laughs> We're just going to be a society of like 400 pound people on these couches that are just like, ah. Yeah. Oh, dear. Hey, Steve, why don't you tell the fine folks about Canadian assistive technology? Well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, assistive technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. <laughs> um, and uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it. Visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. 
Don't sound so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Speaking of repairs, we are the sister company to Canas Tech. Um, we do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Joining us now is Jess Jur, Associate Professor of Textile Engineering at the North Carolina State University College of Textiles. Good morning, sir. Hi, this is Jess. Well, thank you, sir, for joining us. Uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation because um, we know nothing about <laughs> smart textiles. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, pleasure, to be, uh, pleasure to be joining you all today. Okay, well, perfect. You know what? Well, let's start out and just give us a, a brief overview, if you could, of just uh, what is meant by smart textiles and, and what's going on um, with them these days. Yeah, so um, smart textiles, as you can imagine, are are something that is, well, there's no such thing as a dumb textile, I have to say that. So there's, uh, there's all just textiles. Um, but uh, smart textiles in general are something that you would are kind of considered to be um, uh, responsive to an environment. Uh, so this could be uh, coatings that you can put onto a textile that uh, provide um, thermal management uh, or maybe moisture control that is beyond just the typical actions of a of like a fabric that you would that you would wear uh, on as a regular shirt. Um, but then, but even within that, there's how sophisticated do you get actually to be this response? And sometimes these responses can be um, actuated by electronics or can leverage electronics to uh, sense something that's in an environment or that's happening with you and then respond and give feedback to that. And so that's how it's, that, that's how it would be smart. Um, some of the, re a lot of the research that I do is within the latter part of that, where we integrate electronics into textiles to sense things about a person's body, uh, again, provide feedback to them directly or through like a cell phone or, um, or, or like an app that you have on your cell phone. Um, and then we, uh, we actually try to understand what kind of outcomes that might, or what kind of influences that might have on a user. So now in terms of, of the actual electronics that are current level of technology that we're sort of able to incorporate into clothing, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, there's, there's a few things that, that have to be taken into consideration. I mean, there's, there's flexibility, um, you know, whenever you're, you're dealing with clothing, it has to be comfortable. It has to be, you know, be able to obviously be washed and dried. Um, so it, does that limit the, the type of, electronics that you're able to sort of incorporate into into clothing where are we at with that yeah so uh man it's a that, that is uh, always the million dollar question um and that's actually probably where the major advancements are are coming in um so so yeah is, is the expectation that you're going to put your cell phone like your iphone or your samsung uh s9 or s10 or whatever you have uh on a piece of clothing that's that would be completely unrealistic, and I would hate to wear that. Um, right. Whereas, if you have a, if you have like some components that communicate with that device, then you can leverage. You can still leverage that. That uh, what we refer to as the that data aggregator. That's where we collect all of our data. 
Um, so then how do you how do you actually get some of those electronics features onto a garment so that you can actually communicate then with the cell phone? Right. And um, so there's a couple different there's a couple different like categories of things that you probably want to put on. So for example, you can put on like flexible sensors uh, through you can print on conductive materials uh, or materials that will that will interact with the body and read like uh, 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 biopotential signals coming from the body. This is things like an electrocardiogram signal or uh, electromyograph, which is basically measuring muscle activity. So you have your heart rate with the electrocardiogram, and then you have muscle activity through EMG. Um, and then you can, uh, so those are like flexible sensors that you can actually integrate through like printing technologies, or you can actually put like really these really fine conductive yarns uh, that people make, uh, and you can embed those actually into the textile itself uh, during the manufacturing. Um, and then there's, you have to link all of those. And then there's, uh, there's sensors that are really so good that it's probably going to be, um, it's going to be a, a long time before they can be replicated on uh, using those uh, printing technologies or conductive uh, fabric technologies um, into like a really good device. Uh, so something that is like a, like a motor or something that measures uh, body activity, something like a, an accelerometer. Right. Those are all common devices that are made really inexpensively right now. So, but they are they are all in hard component form, or they're they're stiff and rigid, but they're really small. Right. And so the key is to how do you actually integrate those little tiny rigid devices in a textile so that and protect them enough so that you can number one don't feel them but then protect them to the point where you can actually toss them into the washing machine and whatnot. Um, and then, of course, there's things like batteries that have to support all this, and then you have to route all of those electronics to some sort of uh, uh, something that controls the logic uh, and, and where it's measuring, how it's measuring, how often it's measuring. Um, and that's called a microcontroller unit. And so the microcontroller unit with the battery is typically put into a what we refer to as a puck. Um, and a puck is this uh, detachable component that you can take off of your garment, and then you can go and wash your garment as many times as you want, hopefully. Um, and then you can uh, put the, and then you can put your puck back on after the wash, and then you can still. And that's what that puck is actually the thing is that's the thing that's communicating with your cell phone, right? Or uh, with some other platform that you're collecting data from or collecting data to. On your TED talk, where you showed that shirt with LEDs that was monitoring heartbeat, was the, I guess there was a yeah. microcontroller unit on that shirt as well. Yeah. So with that, yeah, there's a there's a, like a little detachable unit that uh, in that case, um, yeah, in that case we had uh, um, we had uh, that has uh, a Bluetooth connection that connects up to a cell phone or a tablet. Um, it's got a little microcontroller unit, a battery that we can just take off, and then we can go and kind of do whatever uh, dry cleaning or wash cycles that we want to do onto the shirt. But all of the LEDs are actually would be integrated into the garment in that case, as well as the sensors that are measuring your heartbeat. Um, and all that is actually washable. Um, so the, there's a couple of, kind of like key like logistical things uh, or reasons why you want some sort of detachable component onto garments. Um, so, for example, in a lot of sports science or sports applications where e-textiles uh, is seeing a lot of traction, 
uh, or the, the smart textiles are seeing a lot of traction. Um, you want to, you don't want to use the same workout shirt every single day. So what you want to, you want to be able to take off an expensive component, which is all the electronics and move that to another garment while you're washing the other garments. So typically you have like two or three garments, but from an electronic standpoint, you just have like one. And now is this a fairly new field? Uh, actually it isn't, you'd be surprised. So, um, people have been adding electronic components on the textiles since, you know, late seventies, early eighties. And a lot of that was for, um, you know, putting into uh, workman's gear or, uh, or, um, in, in, when they make, when they do microelectronics processing, uh, or microelectronics manufacturing, uh, you don't want to, you want to be able to dissipate static, um, because your static could actually kind of destroy the, the thing that you're making or the electronic piece that you're making. So right. you actually want to be able to uh, dissipate that. So people have been adding in conductive materials to do that for quite a while. Yeah. Um, it's not until I would say probably maybe about 15 years ago where people really started putting uh, electronics in to garments to actually really effectively measure something. Uh, however, it's been really slow to kind of develop because the materials really haven't existed. Um, the, uh, and that's been for a whole host of reasons. But, um, and there also really kind of generally hasn't been a user need. I mean, we didn't even know really what the power of wearable electronics was 15 years ago. Right. Um, it really wasn't until uh, probably 2010, 2009 before we started realizing what like Bluetooth could actually do, right? Um, especially, especially Bluetooth Low Energy, which allows for smaller batteries um, and whatnot, so that you can actually uh, create really small form factors. Otherwise, you'd be carrying around like a car battery on your shirt, and I don't know anybody wants to carry around a car battery. <laughs> That's right. We, you know, deal with with assistive technology, so I, I think right. both Ryan and I thought, well, this is this has some some pretty big um, assistive technology implications if we can get the technology to the point where something like haptics could be built into, say, a piece of clothing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in general, you know, the uh, wearables, I think, kind of fall into this little subcategory of, uh, or can be, maybe if you look at like a Venn diagram, there's a, uh, uh, there's a this whole space of IoT, uh, or Internet of Things, and right. wearables are, are maybe kind of like they have this, have a slight overlap with that. And you know, the really the spirit between IoT and the spirit behind wearables is really how can technology improve lifestyle or ease of life. Right. And when you don't have necessarily a normal life, you want to be able to apply technologies in which you can uh, uh, try to make your life as normal as possible. Um, or, or as ease, or provide as much ease as possible. Uh, you don't want to be unencumbered by some of the challenges that you have. I mean, if you look at the healthcare, or if you look at the applications of wearables in health, uh, in health monitoring, uh, it's uh, that's that's exactly the the spirit of what we're trying to do. Right. Um, is how do you how do you let somebody live like outside of a hospital or get out of a hospital quicker, and so that you can live your normal life. Um, and so. There's a, uh, um, but a lot of the technologies still are not necessarily 
I would say, completely inclusive towards or are trying to be as inclusive um, as, as, uh, as you'd want them to be towards all broad uh, source populations. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, uh, but there are a lot of advancements towards, towards going that direction. Um, I think if you look at some of the uh, wrist-worn wearables like the iWatch or, or the uh, Samsung Gear, you can start to see a lot of the haptic yeah. um, uh, feedback that's put into there that is really allowing for new interfaces with, for assistive technologies, right. like you said. Yeah, and I was mentioning to Rob earlier, you know, I think, I don't know, five, six years ago, maybe longer, there was a company who developed a pair of haptic shoes for people with vision impairments and you know, haptic insoles as well. So being paired to your Android or iOS device, you know, your left shoe would vibrate to, you know, tell you to go to the left. Your right shoe would vibrate to tell you to go to the right. You know, we have wearable, right. we have wearables that emit ultrasonic frequencies that you wear on your wrist to help detect obstacles. You know, there's a wide range of um, applications, I guess, that, you know, this the smart technology in wearables could really have an effect. Yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. So, um uh, I think haptics is is kind of the, is one of the easy ones to think about. Um, the uh, I'm actually working with a company uh, or the uh, uh, that is putting um, uh, I'd say like um, uh, microphones or like uh, these microphone antennas inside of a garment that allows for improved hearing. Um, uh, there are colleagues that I work with here that are that are using these elastomeric polymers to integrate um, uh, that that when you apply a voltage to it, you can, they actually move up and down so that you can create sort of like a dynamic braille uh, platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things even outside of the haptics mm-hmm. that you can think about towards integrating in for some a lot of these wearables. Um, but it does kind of get down to, you know, what's the economics of the whole situation, right? And that's uh, the economics uh, in a lot of, um, uh, in, in reality, uh, decides a lot of the decisions that are being made or, or like what kind of product um, uh, or what kind of, how, how you'd be able to launch a product into a, into a consumer market. Right. And that's actually a lot of the research that we do within my research group is uh, we look at these different technology spaces and look at the, the possible commercialization plans uh, for companies that would be able to, um, uh, that want to go into these spaces. And we um, think about the parallel technologies that they could make in order to improve the economics uh, to make a profitable product, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. One of the first, one of the first things people uh uh, usually ask me is like, well, why do I want my electronics to be in a in a textile? Like, why do I want all these things to be in a shirt? Right. And um, and the uh, you know the simple answer to that is that number one, the shirt actually offers a an incredible amount of real estate, um, yeah. or like a or any piece of clothing uh, provides a, a, an amazing amount of uh, real estate that you can put a number of different sensors onto. Um, and you can also put sensors at the right location in order to get the right data that you want. But then also you can also, um, uh, um, have a number of different sensors that are communicating to each other, uh, within a same platform. Right. Um, so if you have that, then you don't have all of the, then you don't have all of these individual devices 
that you have to link up through a, a, a singular app on a cell phone. Um, which I don't know about you guys, but when I, when I try to link up some of the wearables that, that we have, uh, or some of the individual wearables, it's kind of, it's pretty cumbersome, especially the number of steps you have to take in order to actually get a, a wearable connected onto your cell phone and have it on there consistently, right. especially if it's a, if, if you're not continuously using that particular wearable. Uh, so you have to, for every wearable, for every like little, uh, wearable technology device, you end up having to kind of go in and and uh and uh and reactivate that device right and that can be that that can actually be one of the reasons why there's a low shelf life associated with a lot of where or a, a low shelf life associated with wearable technology so and what i mean by where uh low shelf life is that the average person uh only wears their uh like a like a um their smart uh, like Fitbit uh, watch or Fitbit platform only for about three months. And especially if they're depending on what kind of limits of techno or what kind of limits of uh, things that they're trying to track are. So if they're just tracking it for steps, then they're only wear it for like three months before they put it onto a shelf right. and never use it again. So you want to be able to reduce that user burden. I think textiles really supports that lower user burden sort of mindset. Sure. Um, it also improves the general economics because then you don't have to have as many components or individual things that you're going out and purchasing. All of those can be on a singular platform. Sorry, in my head, I'm just thinking like is the day when you're just like, oh, hold on, uh, my shirt just crashed. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I got right. to restart. <laughs> well, it's definitely the things that we worry about too. Um, and we don't want that to happen, uh, especially when you're, you know, you have um, uh, when you're when you're really depending on it. I mean, some of the applications that we have within uh, that we're working on here at the university. Uh, so one of the one of the big center or one of the big uh, funding agencies that we have for uh, my research program is a National Science Foundation funded uh, Nanosystems Engineering Research Center called uh, ASIS, which basically stands for uh, advanced self-powered systems of integrated self sensors and technologies um, are, are basically we're making self-powered wearables. In right. And a, our, our shirt platform is actually one of the, the key things for this. And we don't want our, we don't want our, uh, the, the health outcomes that we're trying to, to, uh, to reach, which are uh, recognition of like atrial fibrillation. Um, we don't want to have a shirt that crashes and then sends out a false signal to your doctor that says, hey, um, <laughs> maybe dying in the, the Russian ambulance out to you. That's like our worst case scenario. True. Right. I can see that. When it comes to the research, are there kind of a couple different arms of it? Because it seems to me there's the, okay, well, let's push the technology forward so we can do more with smart textiles. But is there also like an arm where you're just kind of going, okay, well, here's the technology we have. What can we actually do with it? Or what can we, what, what kind of real world applications can we apply to this? Yeah. So um, there's, uh, some of my colleagues may kill me on this uh, for <laughs> answering the question this way. <laughs> but uh, the reality is, I mean, there's a, there's a lot, there's, um, there's basic research and there's applied research. Um and it really takes a, a lot of these 
team efforts of both basic researchers and applied researchers in order to really make these true advancements. And I think that that's, you know, that's one of the things that like this uh, NSF Engineering Research Center that I'm part of, that's, that it brings these large teams together in order to do this. Um, I would have to say that I'm a little bit more on the applied side of research. Um, and so I go and I look at uh, a lot of technologies and, uh, and materials that are out there that are that I can buy commercially um, or that or there's a supply chain that exists or I see the supply chain evolving in such a way that um, I know that if I go and I make a product out of this in the next year, I know that within two or three years, that supply chain is going to be mature enough so that I can recreate that product a lot of times. Right. Um, and that's where you start getting into mass manufacturing and cost reduction. And so we look at the processes on how to, from an applied standpoint, we look at um, the processing on how to get those materials onto textiles, um, how they, how you need to process them so that you can toss them into, toss these garments into a washing machine, or you can, uh, you can really kind of put them into scenarios that, uh, these materials, um, or that that are that are, uh, you can put these materials in or these garments into use cases that are really important for the consumer. Uh, so we go out and we actually investigate what does what does a gar what does a garment like this? How would it be applied onto a user? What kind of what kind of uh, beatings would this garment take if it were if it were to put onto someone? Right. Um, and that could be that could be not only for you know Joe Schmo walking down the street, uh, but it can also be for somebody that is you know coming right out of a hospital or is needing this for as an assistive technology. Uh, we go in and we understand that that person and that persona, and then we design around that, keeping what we refer to as a minimum viable product or minimum viable products or an MVP in mind all the time. So we know we're not over-engineering things because right. as soon as you start over-engineering things, that's when you start getting high costs and, and whatnot in a lot of these technologies. So in your opinion, where are we at with this? Uh, I mean, is it going to be long before we really start to see some traction on this in terms of having some mainstream products? Yeah. So you can, you know, you can go out and today you can purchase a lot of these techno or uh, some really, really highly advanced technologies uh, of these smart garments uh, with electronics that measure your heartbeat. Um, uh, it's not necessarily FDA approved yet, um, but for like uh, for athletics, um, that's, kind of like the big market space, you don't necessarily need FDA approval for that because you're not really making a medical right. or you're not informing a medical decision. Right. Um, but your, uh, so there's garments that measure your heartbeat. Uh, there's garments that measure your respiration uh, or your breathing rate. Um, there's garments that are starting to measure how much you're, uh, like you're, uh, um, how much you're sweating. Uh, there's, there's garments that are used for, um, measuring muscle activity. So they have, and all of these you can purchase off of places like Amazon. Um, and in fact, you know, I'll, I know you're all are, are a, uh, are a Canadian based co are, uh, show. Yeah. The, um, uh, one of the major companies within this whole space is this company called Myant, which is, um, which is in, on, uh, which is in Ontario. Right. And they are, 
uh, they're really uh, kind of like they're pretty cutting edge on a lot of the new technologies that are being developed in this or the new products. But at the end of the day, again, it comes down to the economics. Um, and so it, 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 a lot of these garments cost um, at a minimum 150 to 200 dollars or us dollars. And some of them like this uh, garment that measures muscle activity um, is, uh, I think it's like 350, $375. Right. And I don't own a $375 anything. <laughs> uh, That's true. So I'm not going to buy a shirt that, that costs that much. Um, so it, it's kind of like a, so it, it really the, the thing that has to happen is, is that cost right. in the manufacturing methods um, really have to, really have to go down. And a lot of people are thinking that that's going to happen through a lot of these new startup companies that are coming out and developing these technologies and then they'll be merged or, or bought or acquired by, uh, larger textile companies or maybe even some of the, uh, higher or more advanced electronics companies. And with that sort of partnerships between the textile space and the, this electronic space, you'll start to see a lot of, um, a lot of, um, um, uh, cost reductions and um, uh, and uh, applicability to a, a broader user base. Yeah, well, it sounds like I mean that that makes total sense. I can see why um, you know, sort of professional athletics or athletics in general seems to be the sort of the the main space where this is existing right now. Because you know, the, again, those are the people that would spend three hundred and fifty dollars on a shirt that's going to. Um, you know, um, measure something like muscle activity. Um, so I guess from what I, what I understand is that it's just, it's just a matter of, of this technologies out there. It, it just, it's going to require companies to sort of take that, take that technology base and develop something that's going to work for whatever they happen to be, whatever their demographic happens to be and what, yeah. whatever the, the reason. Yeah. The, the, um, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the largest consumer base, um, in any population is between the ages of 35 and 50, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I'm pretty sure that hasn't changed within the past couple of years. Although I think that that kind of dynamic sort of evolving pretty rapidly right now, um, about who spends money. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, but, but again, you have to think about the need. And I think if you look at a lot of, if you look at, um, uh, uh Everybody has everybody has different needs. Uh, you know, it's like what's the highest volume needs in a lot of cases. Uh, but then, you know, the thing that people have to think about when they go through the design of these garments is really that how do you how can you design them to be as inclusive as possible so that you can reach out populations that are, uh, I would say, underrepresented um, in a lot of instances. And it's those types of companies, I think, that are going to be um, are going to be really uh, uh, successful, just because of just because of the fact that they're thoughtful about uh, and the ways in which they do design. Right. Uh, so, for you know, I'll give you a great example. Um, uh, there's there's a company, uh, Cute Circuit, that is I think is is probably creating some of the most innovative assistive technology wearable um, devices that they're, uh, that they're, uh, that's out there. Uh, they, have a, they have a particular product called a sound shirt that has haptic feedback 
and lighting in it so that that responds to uh, that responds to sound. Um, so you could be listening to music um, in a, or, uh, and the different um, different motors will actually provide different feedback based on uh, what you're listening to. So you can actually kind of have that enjoyment of, of, of the music even without hearing it. I think wow. it's a, it, they've got an amazing YouTube video. I, I really recommend checking it out. It's, uh, it's super inspiring. Um, every time I show that in my class, uh, classes that I teach on on electronic textiles, uh, everybody's blown away, and they want to create the next sound shirt. Wow! So it's like a, a wearable D box or rumble seat for your for wearable for your movie watching or your audio listening. Nice. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really cool. Um, and then if you start thinking about like where we're going right now, and especially within all of the AR and VR. Uh, yes. um, uh, uh, types of uh, di- uh, human interfaces. Um, there's a lot of space for how to change that dynamic based on uh, based on uh, things that you're wearing. Um, uh, and I think that that's going to be I, I think that's going to be a pretty interesting space here in the next couple of years. Um, and I think Cute Circuits is kind of like well on their way to, to figuring that out. In one of your videos, Jess, you had mentioned how you know some of these. Th- these threads um, or materials, you know, the electronics can be sewn right into like logos on your shirt and, you know, different, different types of the, the manufacturing or fabricating. And it's just so mind blowing to try to imagine where this is at now without really knowing the industry and where it could actually go in, you know, as little as three to five years, everything getting smaller and smaller and, you know, smarter and smarter. Yeah, it's uh, I, I would agree 100. percent I mean, it's why it's kind of why I it's why I enjoyed coming to work every day. <laughs> it's, it is it's mind-boggling to me too, and it really kind of uh, you know I, I I mentioned this earlier. It really kind of takes these multidisciplinary mindsets from both of basic research and applied research, but then also within that, I mean, I, on my team, I'm really fortunate to to be able to have um, you know people that focus in on textiles and textile engineering. So that's how you actually, how you construct textiles and then textile technologists. And that's how you apply them into different, into different, um, into different products, whether it be garments or whether it be other, other, uh, um, other types of textiles. And then we have fashion designers that make this thing, make these things stylable or stylish for us. But then we have mechanical engineers that understand, you know, things like, uh, well, a lot of times we don't want our sensors to move on the body when we're moving around on textiles. We, we use our uh, mechanical engineers to help us with that. We have uh, industrial designers to understand the use case uh, to make, to, so that we can do human-centric design. Uh, we have uh, biomedical engineers that understand how the human body moves, how the human body um, is, sending out, is sending out data for us to go and capture and how to use that. We have computer scientists within our team that can go and analyze all this data and we, and then add that visualization back to the, back to the users so that it can, uh, and visualization can happen in a lot of different ways, obviously, um, through sight and sound and, uh, and, and even feeling. 
uh, but how to apply that back into somebody so that it can be useful to them. Uh, it's really kind of amazing. And it's like, I get to work with all these really cool people every single day. And, um, I can tell you that, that, uh, no day goes by where it's like the, where it's like, okay, where I'm, where I'm not seeing something new or, or having these really interesting conversations about what may happen in the future. So can you share with us what your current project is? Yeah. So, well, we have a, we have a crazy number of projects that go on <laughs> in the group. Um, probably one of the coolest things that we have going on right now is, um, is how do we get rid of things like batteries within a, within a garment? Um, and, or how can we, how can we, how do we make it so that we don't have to plug in? Like we have to plug in our cell phone. I, I have to, I plug mine in every night or, uh, maybe a couple times during the day. And, um, if I lose power, then I'm, uh, you know, yeah. I've got to go plug in it. Right. Um, so we're trying to find ways to harvest power from the body mm-hmm. in yeah. order to support the electronics because you don't want to necessarily be like, um, burdened by the task of plugging in like your shirt or, um, or a glove or, uh, or like a sleeve, uh, every single time that you want this thing to, to work on, uh, uh, every time you, you want to be able to operate this. And so we're trying to think about ways we are. So we, we have actually platforms that we've created through this assist center, um, at harvest, uh, body heat from you. Um, and we can put that body heat, uh, into, uh, energy storage and we can power up all the electronics. So you never have to, um, you never actually have to do anything with it except just put the shirt on, which is pretty cool. Um, and then with those same types of devices, so like how you, uh, so how we harvest energy from people, uh, it's, uh, it goes through a specific type of device called a thermoelectric. So basically you just are, are harvesting power from a, ch- a difference in temperature through this one ceramic material uh, that's been around for a long time. But uh, people are really starting to really make them effectively now. Uh, but we, we actually take those same types of devices and we can apply cooling and heating to someone as well. Wow. Um, and uh, just by reversing the voltage that we apply onto them. And so we've been investigating how to put those things into uh, garments uh, in a very flexible, uh, very cushiony form factor uh, which is, uh, which is super exciting. Um, and so you can not only power yourself, but then you can also cool yourself and heat yourself whenever you need to. And so kind of making this sort of like multi-dynamic and multi-customizable, uh, platform, um, uh, to support all, all different kinds of, uh, feelings and interactions. But not only that, there seems to be the potential for you could actually even go farther. And if, if you could, power say a, a shirt just through you know your your body heat say then potentially the shirt could, could not the shirt actually become like a portable battery so you could actually charge your phone with your shirt potentially yeah there's a uh, unfortunately we're not generating that much power damn, <laughs> so damn it. your cell phone takes a good amount of power to be generated <laughs> but yeah we have thought about other things that we could use sort of to make our shirt uh, our shirt as a kind of like a portable charging unit for other things right yeah, yeah. i think uh you're on the right track 
Well, I was thinking, you know, more along the lines of, you know, backcountry skier, mountain climbers, you know, sure. in these extreme climates, you know, these shirts could help, help maybe save their lives. Yeah, totally. Totally. Going to hit Amazon and, and look for these. I might get a smart shirt or look up this sound shirt. You know, I'm into sound and audio, so I could sit on my couch and bop, true, have my shirt bop away with me. That's true. Yep. Plug See, it into my guitar cool. amp and... Vibrating pants are here. <laughs> Happy pants. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jess, had to go there. <laughs> uh, no worries. It, uh, we always, uh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> You should see, you should hear some of the concepts that we come up with <laughs> yeah, in the lunchroom after hours. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, over at beer, it gets pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> bad. Well, listen, uh, we want to thank you so much for coming in and, and, and chatting with us uh, about it. Um, it's a fascinating field. Um, anything you want to plug? Anything anywhere people can can go and, and to, to find more about uh, smart textiling and or or the research that you guys are doing. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and mention that, you know, we do have, um, a, uh, um, we do have an Instagram page that, uh, my group runs. Um, I'll act, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll email it to you and then I know that y'all can link it. Yeah, we'll, the, we'll put it in the show notes. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks, uh, guys. Really appreciate y'all having me on today and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to have engaged with your community today. Perfect. All right, Jess. Uh, thanks so much and, uh, good luck with everything. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Take, take care. care. Wow. Wow. It's, so cool. Uh, yeah. The mind reels at the potential. It, it does. You know, like there's, there's people out there thinking of things that we can't even comprehend right now. And in five years, we're going to be blown away by the products that are available. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of shocked at, I, I feel like price point is, is the real hurdle that they're coming up against. Mm -hmm. Um, there's not many people that are going to pay $300 for a shirt. Let's no. be honest. Um, and if that's sort of the, the going rate for, for the more complicated pieces of, of smart clothing, um, we're a ways away from that really penetrating the, the mainstream market, I think. Yeah. I niche think market's fine. Like, you know, for right. professional athletes, mountain climbers, like you said, yeah, I mean, sure. They're going to spend $300 on a shirt that's going to be able to regulate temperature. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, somebody walking into old Navy, they're not going to, they're not going to spend $300 on a shirt that, that maybe might do something cool because it ties into their, um, iPhone. Yeah, no, it's still, like you said, a niche market, you know, definitely a health market. You know, maybe somebody needs to monitor their heart, you know, or their muscle activity. Um, you know, they would probably spend the three, four, five hundred dollars on a shirt like this, you know, syncs up with your phone, your app tracks it all. Cause you know, how many people out there now are wearing Fitbits and sleep monitors and all this other tech, right? So there, there is a market for sure. Yep. Yeah. And not only that, like, I feel like, uh, AT potential that's there that, um, we're not even thinking about right now. Well, it's funny <laughs> when he, when he mentioned the, the sound shirt, I thought, Oh my God, like, yeah, that's, that would be a real amazing piece of tech for, um, somebody who say deaf blind. Well, that's what uh, I was just to thinking. To be able to feel engage, the music and... to engage with something like music mm -hmm. or autistic, um, the autistic community, um, something like, a you know, as sort of a haptic shirt, uh, there are lots there. 
Um, even something as simple as, and I don't, he didn't really mention this, but uh, you know, this is sort of in my head, but say if you were able to, to label, uh, say a shirt to be able to like send an audio signal that says, Hey, this is a red shirt. Um, that would, that would be, you know, valuable for say uh, the visually impaired community. Yeah, and there are, you know, there's been ways of tagging articles of clothing for years and years and years. But, you know, the problem is you're always reliant on, you know, a smartphone or, a, you know, a third-party proprietary device built for yeah. us in the AT field. So, yeah, if you could just, you know, I don't know, we're all going to have a phone or some sort of device on us most of the time. You can just yeah. walk up to your shirt and it, you know, screams out, red shirt with blue pinstripes. Yeah. You know, sure. then you start matching your clothes in a quick and efficient fashion. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that it sounds a bit innocuous in terms of AT, but I mean, the more things that all tie together to make, you know, one seamless, accessible experience for somebody who, who needs that, the better, right? And uh, if you're paying a few dollars more for, for a shirt that's able to do that, why not? And who knows, this could get to the point where just smart textiling, smart clothes, it's just a thing that, that's built into most clothing you know i feel like we're still a ways away from that mm -hmm. but who knows the way that the the amount of momentum that wearables has right now um this this is definitely something that we could start to see in the mainstreams and in the at field quite soon i think yeah and i think it's you know it, it's probably one of those products or fields where nobody has found the magic bullet yet. You know, people with wearables have tried the Fitbit and the, the Apple watch and the Samsung gear and, you know, VR, there's all these different headsets. Nobody's really found that, that one product yet that kind of lights the population on fire and, and gets people talking about it. You know, like I mentioned earlier, there's been the haptic shoes. There's been, you know, these, these, these shirts that Jess is talking about, you know, there hasn't been that one product yet that sets people on fire. So once that happens, then it's going to explode. Sure. Sure. I mean, you know, and more and more, there are things that are sort of entering into the marketplace that, that are cooler. I think integration is, is a really big component of, of wearables. Like the one example that I'm thinking of is the sunglasses or the glasses now where the, I don't know, I don't think it's bone Bose conduction, it. but yeah. it's, but, it's actually the the arms of the frame that sit above your ears act as your headphones. Yeah, the Bose AR frames do that. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible to me. That's that's uh, you know a level of integration that uh, you know I hadn't thought of, and I just thought this is amazing. That's this is gonna this is gonna sweep that industry because there's gonna be ten more of those coming up. Because yeah. who's who wouldn't love that? Where your headphones and your sunglasses, or your headphones <laughs> and your glasses. Mm -hmm. are all integrated together. I mean, yep. damn. And you keep your ears free so you can listen to music or your mobility device or, yep. you know, whatever. You could be driving your car and still have your ears, your ears free. Yeah. So now they just need to come up with a wearable shirt or pants that emits a mosquito detractant field. Oh, damn. So when you're out camping, you don't have to worry about mosquito bites. That would be brilliant. That would be good. Hit the switch and... No more bugs. See, we should just sit down for the rest of the day and just think of <laughs> think of ideas that we can email Jess and be like, hey, listen. Like an invisible mosquito net around you. I, you know? Yeah. That'd be cool. That would be super cool. <laughs> I just think it's too bad that the body the body doesn't create enough 
whatever bioelectric heat energy heat whatever like could you imagine that if you could actually just plug your phone into your shirt and recharge it mm-hmm. like holy crap that would be amazing like that would be worth a 300 hundred dollar shirt <laughs> and if anybody out there has some ideas for uh some smart clothing ideas uh cowbell at atbanter.com we'd love to hear it we'll pass it along to jess and claim the idea as our own that's right delete your email <laughs> reap the profits Mwahaha. just kidding Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Are you doing anything with Instagram? No, just... Yeah, it's one of those things. I don't know. It is. It's it's complicated. It's, <laughs> it's complicated. It's, it is. We need a millennial. <laughs> no, we don't. We need a millennial just... to join our team. All right. Well, then I think that's going to about do it for us this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. And we'll see everybody. Oh, next you know week. what? We're not going to oh, see everybody right. next no week. No show next week. We don't have a show next week because no. we are on vacation. Well, Rob's on vacation. Well, you know, whenever one of us takes vacation, <laughs> then we just put a put a pause on the show. So that's right. we didn't have a show last week. That was because you're on vacation. So, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the way it works. Vacations are allowed. It is summertime here. That's in the right. All right, so we will see everybody in two weeks. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.